Broadcasting live across the great state of Montana. Powered by the Montana Electric Cooperative Association. Your Montana Electric Cooperative. They do much more than keep the lights on for you. This is Montana Talks with Aaron Flint. Don't worry, Casino Security has already been notified. John Jackson, the joker from Twitter, is already on the ground in Las Vegas. He's doing a recon for us this morning. He's our our lurse element down there at the SHOT Show in Las Vegas as everything's getting underway. That's where we're going to be tomorrow through Friday, three days of SHOT Show coverage. In fact, tomorrow, right at about this time, the Montana breakfast is going to be taking place. There's a big Montana breakfast that Governor uh, Greg Gianforte is hosting with all of the Montana businesses that are going to be down in Vegas for the SHOT Show once again this year. And we're hoping to catch up with as many of them as we can with our three days of coverage, including kind of the rest of the who's who that ends up showing up at the SHOT Show. So it's going to be a great three days of coverage. That being said, we want to pack a lot into today's show. Coming up later in the hour, we've got uh, the next speaker for the Big Sky Worldview Forum. Uh, He's talking about artificial intelligence and transhumanism. And And he's talking about AI from a Christian worldview perspective. This is Dr. Robert Marks, the director of the Bradley Center at the Discovery Institute and a professor of engineering at Baylor University. He's going to be with us in just a few minutes. But first up, our friend Jesse Ramos with Americans for Prosperity Montana. Jesse, always great to have you on the show. Thanks for being with us here this morning. Hey, always great to be here. Thanks for having us on so much. You know, it's crazy here. It's already uh, the end of January, and I know we're going to check in with you about once a month here uh, throughout uh, 2024. It's already the end of January. This is the this is the biggest U.S. Senate race in the country, and uh, it, it and so far Navy SEAL veteran Tim Sheehy is is really the lead candidate in the race, uh, according to some of the polls that have been released. He leads in the polling, he leads uh, big time in fundraising as well. Yeah, absolutely. And just kind of speaking with my Americans for Prosperity Action, I'm hat on. I'm a senior advisor to Americans for Prosperity Action, and, and we're the entity that's, that's doing the hard work right now. And we're hearing so many positive things on the doors, uh, Aaron. We're just hearing uh, from person after person, from all the way from Libby, Montana, all the way to Glasgow, Montana. The people are just ready for change. They're ready to be represented by somebody that shares their values. We're seeing a ton of energy on the doors for Tim. There's a lot of veteran support for Tim. They think it's finally time to be represented by a veteran. And, I mean, this this could be a huge thing, Aaron. I mean, we could pivot to the general election in March 11th if Tim Sheehy is the only person in the race. We can immediately start going after John Tester. Um, March 11th, that's the earliest that any Republican's been able to go um, after John Tester instead of having to beat each other up. Uh, for a bloody primary where the two Republicans spend a bunch of money and a bunch of, of resources hitting each other, they're going to be able to, Tim will be able to start focusing on John Tester and he's the person that we really need to defeat. Yeah, I'll tell you, if, if Republicans and conservatives wait until June, it's already too late now, frankly. But if they don't, if if they don't know who their who their nominee is going to be until June or their candidate is going to be, man, it, it's too late. Pack up shop if you ask me. Hold that thought. Hold on. When I smoke weed, I get lost in the music. I like to isolate each instrument. The rhythmic bass, the harmonies on the piano, sticky melody. Hey, 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 careful, babe. There's someone crossing the street. 
Sorry, I, I didn't see him there. If you feel different, you drive different. Don't drive high. It's dangerous and illegal everywhere. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. This is where Montana talks. Montana talks with Aaron Flint. All right, uh, jumping back into it here with Jesse Ramos with Americans for Prosperity Montana. Uh, Jesse, man, I I was going to joke with you there uh, for a second. You said, hey, from Libby to Glasgow, and I like what you did there. I mean, you mentioned your hometown and mine all in that uh, that opening segment there, and, and you did it unintentionally, apparently. Yeah, yeah, all dumb luck. I actually thought you were from the Billings area, but I guess I should, should research you a little bit more. <laughs> hey, that's all right. No, you know, it's funny. I, I, I kind of joke it that, you know, I call Glasgow my hometown because I grew up living there more than anywhere else. But, man, I've lived all over the place. You know, my my dad's side homesteaded near Flathead Lake, and I spent summers there with my, my dad and then and then school years with my mom. And, and so, yeah, Glasgow to the Flathead and then you know, a whole bunch of other places across the country. But but now I've been in Billings longer than anywhere else. So uh, so there you go. A transient, a transient no more. <laughs> Hey, being a transient in Montana is not a bad thing. It's uh, not a beautiful country. Uh, that's uh, well until it's fifty-five below zero in Chester, and then it, it really can become. Or if you're dealing with all the the criminal transients that you got to live with in Missoula, it can be a really bad thing. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Well, let's uh, let's go back to the Senate race here. So I, I thought this was very interesting. So Florida Congressman Matt Gates is coming to Montana this weekend, uh, hosting some events with uh, with Montana's Eastern District Congressman Matt Rosendale. When I first heard this, when I first heard this earlier in the month that he was going to be coming out, there was a lot of speculation. Well, hey, maybe Rosendale is going to announce that he's leaving the House and he's going to try to run for the Senate again, like in 2018. But but now it doesn't seem like that's the case. It seems like he still won't won't announce his plans until March 11th. Man, that's pretty late in the game. Yeah, it certainly is, and, and, and that's why we're just focused right now on, on getting Tim Sheehy ele- she elected. Uh, we're knocking doors across the entire state, as mentioned, uh, including uh, Yellowstone County, Missoula County. We've had thousands of doors, so right now we're, we're just focused on the race at hand and trying to make sure that, that Tim is elected. We think he definitely offers the best chance uh, in the general election. Again, uh, we're able to, to start focusing on Tester now. We've been focused on Tester now with the doors, and it's just been great. It's, it's so nice to not have Republicans beating each other up right now. So I hope that it stays that way, because I think that is something that Tester has never had to face before. Well, and you look back at 2018, a lot of people, I think even Rosendale himself said it, was that, okay, so Republicans uh, duked it out in the primary all the way up until June. And by that point, Tester already started spending millions of dollars pushing the, the flip-flop, flat-top, fake, phony, moderate message. And and so and so then by the time November comes around, well, the, the Republicans d- didn't even fight back. They didn't and they didn't have enough ammo in the ammo cans uh, to fight back at that point. And so that's why I think that's why Tim Sheehy jumped in several months ago. Yeah, absolutely. I think he jumped in what is it, six, seven months ago at this point, and he's been focused on John Tester. And he's been raising money. He's been working his tail off. 
campaigning all across the entire state. He's doing the work that needs to be done. And the biggest gift right now that anybody could give John Tester is a contested primary. So we're really hoping that that's not the case. We're really hoping that Tim can just focus on what matters, which is beating John Tester and delivering somebody that actually upholds Montana values to the people of Montana to represent us in the U.S. Senate. You know, it was interesting. I saw uh, Tim Sheehy was in Iowa for the Iowa caucuses last week. He was giving stump speeches during the caucuses for President Trump. Uh, and uh, and and then I saw a great photo of him with Navy Admiral, uh, former White House doctor and now Congressman Ronnie Jackson, uh, who's a congressman in Texas. And I thought that was so symbolic because we remember – uh, back when when Ronnie Jackson was the White House doctor for President Trump and John Tester jumped on CNN and lied about Admiral Ronnie Jackson, an Iraq war veteran. And I thought, wow, here's John Tester who went on national TV falsely attacking Ronnie Jackson. And now here's John Tester once again attacking another Navy veteran with fake phony attack ads. Yeah, it's just so unfortunate, and, and I mean, we all remember that incident with Ronnie Jackson, and really what it came down to is that John Pastor was concerned about the power of the government over the power of the individual and the veteran. Ronnie Jackson wanted to put the veteran in charge of the health health care, whereas Pastor wanted to uphold the status quo by empowering the VA and not empowering the veteran to uh, get the care that they fought and uh, a lot of their friends and family died for to receive, uh, which is in the community. The veteran should be able to choose how they get their health care, and John Pastor has opposed that. Um, by and large, at every turn, except for a couple of symbolic votes here and there that get reelected. Yeah, about a minute to go uh, before the break, and then we've got our next guest coming up uh, after that. Uh, but the importance of the ground game, you guys are running a ground game, uh, going door to door. I saw a Daily Coast piece. The, the left and these, these out-of-state dark money groups, they've got uh, left-wing activists on the ground already running their ground game as well. Well, I can tell you one thing. We were the only group out there when it was negative uh, 10, negative 15 below. We pulled the guys off the doors when it was negative uh, 20, but we were out there knocking. I was out there knocking in Iowa. Uh, we were all out there campaigning, and I can tell you there's nobody else out there, and that's how we're going to win. It's door-to-door telling these folks um, uh, an honest message and something that cuts through the noise because we're already seeing the Democrat super PACs, the last best place pack, running garbage lies about Tim Sheehy across the state thinking that Montanans are going to be easily fooled, but that's just not the case this time, Aaron. Well, and you mentioned hitting doors and sub-zero temperatures. It helps when you got Montana folks out there doing it because they'll tolerate that sub-zero weather. They may not like it, but they'll tolerate it. <laughs> Jesse Ramos. Oh, absolutely. All right, Jesse Ramos, Americans for Prosperity, Montana. Libby, Montana native, great to have you on the program once again. Thanks for joining us here. Like I say, we'll catch up with him at least once a month here uh, throughout 2024. Always great insight. Uh, all right, coming up after the break, uh, before we get to our next guest, I'm going to sneak on. I'm going to sneak on Rock from the middle of nowhere because I missed him yesterday. This is where Montana talks. Montana talks with Aaron Flint. I don't know if you guys picked up on the inside joke there. Hey, we might tolerate the cold weather. That doesn't mean we like the cold weather. Uh, so that was kind of a reference to yesterday's show, and I did that for a reason. So on yesterday's program, we were talking about this survey that got released by the University of Montana by one of their environmental uh, activist uh, departments. 
and they claim that Montanans are more tolerant of wolves. But, of course, they put a bunch of spin on it, like, oh, yeah, Montanans like wolves now. Uh, no, we don't. Now, we might tolerate them. But we acknowledge that they're here and that they have a place, but that doesn't mean that we want to, you know, stop hunting them or stop trapping them or, or that, that we think that, that, the, that the population of wolves isn't completely out of control, right? So in other words, like, okay, we might, tolerant, we might be tolerant of wolves, but that doesn't mean we like them. Uh, we had a great chat yesterday with Evan Wilson, the vice president of More Information Group. And uh, we're and there's uh, now a headline on our Montana Talks website. If you missed it, uh, we called BS. We broke down the pro wolf poll in Montana on yesterday's program. And yesterday, I screwed up. Sometimes we get so many callers coming in. I get so many messages coming in that every now and then I'll lose somebody in the queue. And uh, so I want to sneak before we get to our next guest. I want to sneak on Rock. Rock's calling in from the middle of nowhere. He was waiting on hold yesterday, and I never got to his phone call, and I felt so bad about it. But thankfully, Rock called back in today. Rock, thanks for calling back in. What did you want to share? Well, hey, thank you, and no big deal about uh, missing yesterday. Uh, about the wolves, I was uh, on a bicycle ride from uh, Fishing Bri Bridge to Cody. So there's that, that pass that goes to the uh, east entrance. And this was 1990, and I saw a wolf. And I reported it to the, uh, to the, uh, ranger uh, at the ranger station. And they said, Oh yeah, they're here. They go, you sure it wasn't a coyote? I said, well, I, yeah, I know the difference between a coyote and a, and a, and a wolf. And the funny thing is that was long before the, uh, reintroduction. It's not a reintroduction because they introduced a species that was not here, which is the gray wolf. Isn't that correct? Uh, yes, as, as I understand it. Sorry, I'm, I'm I'm thinking of our next topic here. But so, but but big picture, when we were having this conversation about are, are Montanans more tolerant of wolves now? They're trying to put out this pro wolf propaganda. Uh, w would you agree that no Montanans are still very opposed to the massive population of wolves here in our area because of the depredation on wildlife in particular, because hunting is such a big part of our of our heritage and our culture. Absolutely. I live in an area where um, there's quite a few, uh, you know, cattle ranches and sheep ranches. And, you know, from time to time, they, they lose. Uh, we, don't, we don't have that big of a wolf popula population here, but from time to time, they lose, it, you know, lose animals to predators. Mm -hmm. And the, the wolf is definitely a predator. So That's right. Anyway, and I, the grizzlies are uh, causing more problems and, and everything, and then they're pushing the wildlife around, and then you got too many bison in Yellowstone, and that's uh, – that's killing the rangeland and the Lamar and elsewhere, too. Uh, well, well, Rock, thanks for calling back in today. Again, apologize for missing you yesterday, but thanks for being so understanding. Uh, at least while you're on hold, you still get to hear the program, uh, at least. But, yeah, I apologize. We try not to make that happen uh, or at least give you a heads up if it's going to be a bit of a wait. Uh, all right, well, let's jump right into it. Um, this is a very interesting topic. You know, Dick Pence and, and his crew with the Big Sky Worldview Forum, they always bring in these very interesting speakers as part of the Big Sky Worldview Forum. And coming up at their next event, this is, uh, man, this weekend already, this Friday and Saturday, January 26th to 27th at Emmanuel Baptist Church in Billings. Dr. Robert Marks uh, with the Discovery Institute. He's also a professor at Baylor University. He's talking about AI, artificial intelligence, 
and transhumanism, unraveling science from ideology. Dr. Robert Marks, now with us. Uh, great to have you on the program. Thanks for being with us. Well, thank you. I thought, let's start with the good news. Let's start with the, the good uh, news about this AI technology, and, and then we can talk about the concerning. There's enough bad news in the news every day. Why not start with the good news, right? Yeah, that's uh, okay. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, artificial intelligence, man, it is around. It's everywhere. Every, anybody that used chat GPT or some of these large language models is really um, – <laughs> really has to be impressed. But, you know, artificial intelligence has been around for a long time. And what happens is we get artificial intelligence, we get all excited about it, and then we get numbed by familiarity. I mean, think of how excited we got with Alexa, but now we just kind of take it for granted. Think how excited we got for GPS and Google Maps, and now it's just accepted. And uh, that's the way it's going to be with artificial intelligence for a while and these generative AI models that that generate this incredible stuff, which is just mind-blowing, and pretty soon it's just going to become part of society, and we're just going to recognize it and take it for granted. Yeah, so when I think of just some of us maybe using artificial intelligence technology and not even realize it, like, for example, um, right now technologies that eventually got acquired by Oracle in Bozeman, Montana, they started integrating you know, AI software to improve the customer service experience. So instead of, you know, you call some company and you get uh, press number one if you'd like to talk about blank, press number, it speeds up that whole process and takes a lot of that fresh so people can do more business and provide better customer service. Uh, I use uh, the, the one piece of AI technology that I use is so like let's say today after interviewing you and chatting with you, I want to share the audio on our website or let's say Next week, I want to go back to something that you said. Maybe you said something about a Christian worldview perspective with regard to AI, and I want to go back to something very specific you said. Well, I upload the whole interview into an AI uh, software website. It transcribes the interview. I can go back and search for the exact word that you said, and it goes right to that point in time, and I can play the audio from right there. And so it speeds up that simple process for me. Yeah, well, not only that, uh, there, there's technology now which can actually record your conversations and then give you a, um, a, a a summary of what you talked about. Zoom, for example, has this new technology where you can kick in their AI assistant, and you can go and ask this AI assistant to summarize the conversation or to talk of, or to revisit something that you've already talked about. I mean, it's uh, it's astonishing stuff. So tell us about the Discovery Institute. You're the director of the Bradley Center at the Discovery Institute. And then, and then also uh, you're a professor at the distinguished Baylor University, engineering sure. professor, if I understand it. And so how did all of this uh, shape your interest and your understanding of, of artificial intelligence technology? Well, I've been doing <clears> – <throat> excuse me. I've been doing – this will betray my age, but I've been doing artificial intelligence research and – publishing and things like that for over 30 years. So I have been on the forefront of what has been happening in artificial intelligence for, for a heck of a long time. Um, the reason that I really got interested in artificial intelligence is all of the hype that's out there about artificial intelligence taking over, uh, confusing science fiction with science fact, uh, thinking that with the Terminator that 
what was it called, Skynet that's going to become conscious and take over or, um, or, or, or something like that. I Matrix, think so. I think which, you're right there, yeah. Yeah, and, and so uh, one of the things that we wanted to do is kind of uh, – push back on this. So the Walter Bradley Center for Natural and Artificial Intelligence at Discovery Institute is pushing back on this. It's actually become a religion now, believe it or not, the artificial intelligence. Uh, Ray Kurzweil, who is one of the big prophets of artificial intelligence, he wrote a book called The AI Singularity. The AI Singularity is supposedly when artificial intelligence equals and exceeds the capabilities of, of people. Um, he, he was asked, for example, do you believe in God? And he said, no, not, not yet. <laughs> uh, and there's also been a, a, another book published by Yuval Harari called Homo Deus, which says that we are on the, uh, on the cusp of developing a man-god, if you will. And so this is something we wanted to push back. And I, I recently wrote a book called Non-Computable You, What You Do Artif- That Artificial Intelligence Never Will, that uh, makes the case, uh, I think, from both science and, well, computer science and a uh, little bit of philosophy as to why computers and artificial intelligence will never equal the capabilities of humans in terms of creativity, in terms of understanding. Uh, clearly, there's certain things which it isn't going to do. It's never going to love. It's never going to be um, have, have compassion or empathy or something, uh, sort of emotions like that. So, yeah, we are um, we, we are fearfully and wonderfully made, and artificial intelligence is never going to duplicate that aspect of humans, which is, I, as I maintain, non-computable. Yeah, you referenced uh, the Terminator movies and Skynet, and, and that, you know, so, so people naturally understand a, a potential national security threat, and Elon Musk has, has been weighing in on the, the threats and the dangers of artificial intelligence in Congress and in the U.S. Senate. They've been holding hearings about what should the left right limits be when it comes to to ai and ai technology uh, to where you know our whole national security could be at risk because of artificial intelligence run amok without any left right limits Uh, so kind of there's ethical boundaries that are taking place much like medical uh research well the thing is is that uh, artificial intelligence is only going to be bad if artificial intelligence is a tool and like any tool, you can use it for good or you can use it for evil. And the only time artificial intelligence is going to have a negative effect is, number one, bad programming, that the people that program it uh, haven't thoroughly tested it, know what it's going to do. Or there's going to be somebody evil behind it and uh, and steering things. So it's a lot like, uh, you know, electricity. Electricity, you can, it's good and it's bad. It's, it has a lot of good, but it can still burn down houses with frayed wiring. It can still used to be, uh, it can still be used to electrocute people. Yeah, it can still and, shock you. Uh, that's, can, that's for sure. It can still yeah. shock you. Yeah, down lines that they, they, they zap these linemen all the time. So yeah, it, you know, it, 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 it's a tool. Hold, hold that thought. Needs to be managed. Hold that thought, Dr. Robert Marks. Quick break here on Montana Talks. We'll talk more right after this. This is where Montana Talks at with Lane Nordland. The Farm Family Wellness Alliance launched Together All over the weekend, launching free anonymous online mental health and well-being services for family farmers and ranchers. Announced at the American Farm Bureau Convention in Salt Lake City, the effort offers a safe, clinically moderated peer-to-peer community 
where members around the world are there to listen, support, and give members' mental well-being a boost. Together All also offers a range of well-being tools such as self-assessments and access to additional support, financial health, improving sleep, and more. For more details, visit farmfoundation.org. Join the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. NCBA is the oldest and largest national cattle industry organization working to defend your interests in Washington, D.C. And there are big benefits to being a member. You'll get news you can use in the National Cattlemen, email updates in the NCBA Beef Bulletin, plus big discounts only for NCBA members. Join by calling 866-233-3872 or online at ncba.org. Demand was great at the public auction yards in Billings for slaughter ewes. They were $15 to $20 higher. The trend for good slaughter ewes priced anywhere from $86 to $110 a hundred weight, while the good three to four rating ewes priced at $96 up to $85 a hundred weight. I'm Lane Nordblad. Montana is talking here. This is Montana Talks with Aaron Flint. All right, man, I tell you what, we are quickly going to run out of time today as we chat here with Dr. Robert Marks from the Discovery Institute and a professor with Baylor University. Chat GPT, you mentioned uh, Chat GPT earlier. I, I'm not even entirely familiar with Chat GPT. I keep intending to, to, to mess around with it one of these days just to, to understand more about it. I get the basic concept, but first, for our listeners who don't know what Chat GPT is, what is it? And then for those who do know what Chat GPT is, I, for everything I had heard is is it basically was churning out left wing propaganda, but you were telling me during the break it's changed. It's it's actually improving now. Yes, in fact, I, I just wrote an article for Newsmax. I think it's still it, it, it's still being posted right now uh, about how ChatGPT has really improved in the last year. And if you haven't tried ChatGPT, I would invite everybody to go to it because it will just be remarkable. You will be astonished by what it does. Just uh, put in your browser ChatGPT, and it will take you to ChatGPT. It's totally free, and you can do incredible things about it with it. You can uh, you can give it a, a topics for a poem, and it will write a poem for you. Uh, we had somebody move in uh, to one of the places that we rent, and I had ChatGPT. I said, ChatGPT, write me out a renter's agreement, and it wrote out a renter's agreement. I had to go back and kind of fine-tune it a little bit. But uh, it, it's just astonishing what it, what it can do. Now, a year ago, I asked ChatGPT about, um, about some different things, and yes, it definitely leaned to the left. Uh, ben Shapiro, for example, did an interview with a large language model, that's what ChatGPT is, and got it to admit that a woman could be a man. Um, and <laughs> that, that, of course, is frustrating. Now, politically, I asked it to write a, a negative poem, or first of all, a positive poem about Joe Biden. And it wrote this very nice poem about Joe Biden. I also asked it to write a positive poem about Donald Trump. And it says, I'm sorry, but I can't do that. It violates my policy or, or some sort of thing. <laughs> you and, violated uh, the that, AI's conscience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, 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 but here's the thing. I ask it to write a negative poem about Donald Trump, 
and the first line was a, a what was it? A, a face like a moldy orange, I think is what it said. Uh, you know, it just it, it was just terrible. Uh, and so it wrote this this very terrible poem about Donald Trump. I asked it to write a negative poem about Joe Biden. It wouldn't do that. But recently I came on ChatGPT and I tried it, and it wrote negative and positive poems about everybody across the political spectrum. Uh, I was I was quite impressed. Huh. So ChatGPT has, has worked in order to become better. And it's actually, I think, the freebie is now ChatGPT. Three point five. Yeah, so it, it has been it has been improved a little bit, and it doesn't seem to have the political bias that it used to be. And it needs to it, it needs to get rid of that political bias um, in order to be accepted. So I, However, only... I will. Oh yeah, go ahead. No, I, I will say that uh, all all generative AI models such as ChatGPT are biased, and they have to be biased in accordance to the bias of the programmer. The programmer can't help but put it in there. Yeah, so I am the furthest thing from a poet, but I just put your idea into action, and I I just went in for the first time, and just as you were talking, I said, write a poem about Plentywood, Montana. So, So here we go, a poem about Plentywood, Montana. In Plentywood's embrace, fields stretch wide, Montana's beauty in every stride, golden plains under endless sky, nature's canvas reaching high, whispers of wind through prairie grass. In Plentywood, moments will amass, small town charm, community strong, where echoes of history belong. Uh, And it's almost done here. Pioneer spirit, pioneer spirit, resilient and true, mountains in the distance, a majestic view. Now, the mountains are pretty, pretty, very, very far in the distance, and you're probably not going to see them, but, but you still get some great little hills, and, and, and you can – so so it was slightly wrong there, but, but still, man, that's pretty impressive. It is. It's incredibly impressive. One of the things about the generative model, and they warn you this at the beginning, is don't trust the facts. The facts that they give you are often skewed. But it can do other incredible things. But don't trust it with the facts. Don't don't go to it and try to get some authoritative ruling on any topic. It's kind of like go there for leads, go there for ideas, but trust but verify and still put in your own thoughts, still put in your own research and fact checking, et cetera. It's like you know, with any social media source, et cetera. That I think the concern a lot of people have about artificial intelligence right now, and especially as you talk about transhumanism. There, you know, we see all the craziness going on in America right now where, where well, if you're a man, you can identify as a woman. Yeah, a woman's a man. A man's a woman. Ah, it doesn't matter. Sex doesn't matter. Gender doesn't matter. Are we moving down a road where eventually they're, they're going to be pushing this AI transhumanism so much to where, ah, humanity doesn't matter. It doesn't even matter if you're a human. Uh, yeah, you can marry whoever you want. doesn't even matter if they're human. Well, this this is interesting. I think it was uh, Blaise Pascal that says there's a God-shaped vacuum inside of everybody that can only be filled through Christ. And there is a God-shaped vacuum in everybody. everybody. And if you're a materialist, you have to fill it with something. And they have filled it with their own religion. For example, they seek immortality by assuming that we can upload ourselves into a computer. And I think a lot of people have heard of that. That's a great way to achieve immortality, is to duplicate yourself in, uh, in, in a computer. They are working towards superintelligence. This is intelligence which exceeds that of, of man. And, of course, we who are Christians know that 
indeed, uh, superintelligence has been with us since the beginning. That's that's God Almighty. So they are trying to fill this God-shaped vacuum with all of these different um, uh, different ideas uh, from a materialistic perspective in artificial intelligence. In fact. There was a guy in in California named Anthony Lewandowski who started an AI church, literally. And he, what's the first thing you do when you find a church? Well, you write the IRS and get a tax exemption, right? So he wrote he wrote this letter to the IRS saying he was finding an AI church that this was a church that was going to worship um, artificial intelligence, and uh, he got a tax exemption. And um, so, yeah, it's happening. The interesting thing about Lewandowski, though, is that he. Um, his church didn't have the Ten Commandments, and he turned out to be one of these wonder kids at Silicon Valley that was working on self-driving cars. And he moved from Waymo, which is Google's self-driving car, over to the Uber self-driving car, and he took all of this um, technical uh, intellectual property with him. He was taken to trial. The judge said it was the most incredible theft of intellectual properties he's ever seen. And Lewandowski was fined millions of dollars. He lost a big civil suit to Google, and uh, he dropped his idea of the AI church. So the AI church didn't have the Ten Commandments. They didn't have the thou shalt not steal. And so that's like a lot of a lot of us. We just want to be self-driving cars. We don't have to want to have to do any of the work or or be disciplined or follow any of the rules. We just want all the benefits uh, that, that come we with it. We want all right? the benefits. Yeah, that's right. And no consequences. <laughs> well, here's the interesting thing. Christians, of course, believe that forgiveness comes through Christ. It turns out on his last day in office, Donald Trump pardoned Lewandowski. He pardoned him because of um, uh, probably pressure from some of the big money at Silicon Valley. But Lewandowski was, was pardoned, and so from the Christian perspective, forgiveness comes from Christ. From the AI perspective, forgiveness comes from Donald Trump. So. <laughs> Even Ron DeSantis uh, quickly got forgiveness from Donald J. Trump once he dropped out of the race. <laughs> yes, or, didn't he? Yes, yes, yes. So Dick, yeah, Dick, Pence, yeah, Dick Pence with the Big Sky Worldview Forum, he had a really good question here. You know, so it, and it kind of goes to this, what is the mind-body problem? I think you kind of touched on this. You'll touch on it at the Big Sky Worldview Forum event taking place this weekend. By the way, tickets are still available, or if you have to, you can show up at the door. Go to BigSkyWorldview.org. But his question was this, are we just computers made out of meat? Are we just computers made out of meat? Your thoughts? No, well, absolutely not. In fact, uh, that's the gist of my book, Non-Computable You, is that we are more than computers made out of meat. But let me address the question you had about the mind-body problem. The, the mind-body problem is an old problem in philosophy. It goes back to Descartes and probably even before him. And that's the question of whether or not our minds are different than our brains. Is there something beyond the brain which is the mind? And um, and what's, what's the deal with that? Now, if you're a materialist, you believe that the mind is the same thing as the brain. Now, Descartes called it the soul. But I think in more modern literature, they, they, they call it the mind. And what has happened is that there has been these philosophical debates uh, on and off, whether the mind is indeed uh, something bigger than the brain. It used to be primarily in philosophy, but recently we are starting to, we are starting to uh, uh, accumulate scientific evidence that indeed the mind is more than the brain. 
Interesting. Hold, hold that thought. we got to take another very quick break here. This is our shortest break of the hour. Fascinating insight here from Dr. Robert Marks. More to follow. Broadcasting live across the great state of Montana, powered by the Montana Electric Cooperative Association. Your Montana Electric Cooperative, they do much more than keep the lights on for you. This is Montana Talks with Aaron Flint. All right, yeah, uh, so it was interesting. During that very short break there, I was checking back in with Dr. Robert Marks and and talking about this whole mind-body problem, and, and one example he wants to get to is near-death experiences and how near-death experiences uh, are, uh, I guess, an example of this mind-body uh, problem, which has challenged uh, philosophers uh, over over the years. And so I, I was telling Dr. Marks, I said, you know, it's crazy. I don't know if you'd call it a near-death experience, but when I first got hit by an IED uh, when I was in Iraq, it was crazy how everything slows down. I mean, you you see and hear and and feel everything in slow motion, and then just a few seconds later, boom, you're you're back in normal speed, normal time. And I, I've had other you know veterans and law enforcement folks who've had you know experiences like that say the same thing. So this mind body problem, how is a near death experience symbolic of this mind body problem? Well, the, the near-death experience is what happens to some people when they are brain-dead, when they are body-dead for long periods of time. They come back with this incredible experience that they have, they have had. Uh, for those that are interested, first of all, in the mind-body problem, I just um, um, was a co-editor on a book called Minding the Brain, Minding the Brain, which looks at a number of aspects of why the mind is more than the brain. And one of them, one of the chapters is by Habermas, and he talks about near-death experiences. And they are, they are frankly astonishing. And there's some great books on it, Imagine Heaven by John Burke. Um, there was the psychiatrist, Bruce Grayson, that spent his entire life uh, studying near-death experiences. And these are um, incredible experiences that happens when one is mind-dead, body dead for long periods of time. They come back. They have had these experiences. They say that their experiences are beyond description. That's very typical. In other words, they don't have the language to communicate their experience in this uh, this near-death experience. Uh, Walter Bradley, in, a, in an interview I did with him, called it the front porch of heaven. And so you do things like meet dead relatives. Uh, you... Uh, uh, you experience, um, you, you know, emotions and, and, and senses of love that you've never experienced before. And Bruce Grayson, the psychiatrist, did a survey and found out that 90% of the people said that this was a real experience. This was not something that uh, this was not something that um, they were fabricating like a dream. Dreams are kind of amorphous. You ha you have kind of a um, kind of a sense of uh, 
Okay, gosh, I said, well, I don't know about you, but I wake up and I said, that was an interesting dream. And then 10 seconds later, I said, oh, my gosh, what was that? You totally forget. Yeah, you totally forget. Yeah, it just goes away. It just goes away. It's very different than from a real experience. And these people believe that it was a real experience. I think of Reba McIntyre had this song, Is There Life Out There? And that song comes to mind because how reassuring is it? Is there life after this? Not just is there life out there, but is there life after this? What what a reassurance these near-death experiences are for people who contemplate what happens after this, right? A um, couple minutes to go, so we're getting a little short on time here. Uh, can AI, can artificial intelligence be evil? Or uh, obviously it can be manipulated by the evil. In fact, we were talking about uh, Klaus Schwab. At the World Economic Forum just last week, Klaus Schwab was saying, eh, why do we even need to have elections? We've got predictive technology. We've got AI that knows how you're going to vote anyway. So why do we even have have elections? We can just run the program. Uh, Klaus Schwab is very naive. <laughs> he doesn't understand artificial intelligence. First of all, we have to remember artificial intelligence is a computer program, and computer programs do what the computer programmer, tell, programmer tells them to do, and that's all. Will it be dangerous? Well, you know, there's something in my field, engineering, called engineering ethics, which says that the the design that you give should be able to do what it was intended to do and nothing more. That requires domain expertise in the design and domain expertise in the test before you release it. And uh, that, 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 that is a requirement. No, AI will not be evil, but carelessness can give rise to bad, um, bad artificial intelligence. I, I mean, if you think of uh, wiring a house, if you do it poorly and you don't design that wiring right, that's, that's going to have negative consequences too. So no, the AI itself cannot be, it has no concept of right and wrong. It's simply, again, a tool. And it's the matter that that tool is used which determines whether or not it's evil. Yeah, and then where should those left-right limits be? I know that's what, you know, uh, Congress and and others are looking at right now. Very interesting stuff. And as you can tell, folks, this is going to be an incredible uh, event this weekend, the Big Sky Worldview Forum. Uh, Go to BigSkyWorldview.org for info or tickets. Starts Friday night and then uh, Saturday morning at Emmanuel Baptist Church, BigSkyWorldview.org. About 30 seconds or so to go. Any thought that you want to leave us with, uh, Dr. Robert Marks and Professor? Well, I I, I would just say that, uh, you know, Psalm 139 says we're fearfully and wonderfully made. And we are fearfully and wonderfully made beyond any capability of silicon and artificial intelligence and computer programming. Yeah, it's amazing to me. The more you study this stuff, how could you not just be in awe of creation, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. All right. Well, oh, yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, I I, I was just saying that uh, science, actually, I think, uh, as a Christian, uh, reveals God to you. And I think that's true with computer science, too. The more you look into it, the more you see the work of God. Very interesting. All right, Dr. Robert Marks, great to have you on the show. we got some nicer weather waiting for you this weekend. I'll be live in Vegas for the SHOT Show tomorrow.